Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, can you imagine if there was an, a fountain of eternal youth, eternal life? Do you believe that such a thing exists? You see, the rumors and the stories of such a river have existed for, for thousands of years. And many people have invested a lot of time and money climbing up mountains and crashing through jungles to, to find it. In the last few years, and you can Google this, the millionaires of, the, of Silicon Valley in, in California, such as Sergey Brin, the co-founder of Google, they have put their bets on science. They don't want to die, you see, they want to keep living. And you can read of the millions of dollars that are being invested into research into life extension, longevity labs. One of them is called Calico, the California Life Company. And you can read more of, of many wealthy people who have frozen their bodies in the hopes that when they are revived sometime in the future, at that time the key to eternal life will have been found. It's like we're saying, isn't it? They're in their, in their own strength. They're trying to keep themselves free from death and ruin. Well, we were brought up in the Bible. We've read Ecclesiastes. And we know very well why they're looking for this solution. Because death is really, really frustrating. It makes life a meaningless chasing after the wind. And Ecclesiastes asked over and over again, why, why do we do all this? It's just to be handed over to the next person. That flaming sword of death, it's like a, like a deep jungle that's surrounding the proverbial rivers of life. And if you are unable to overcome life, or overcome death, sorry, if you're unable to overcome death, you are actually unable to fully enjoy your life. That's the problem. All the world recognizes that problem. It's nothing new. It's a problem that death poses. The good news is that the Lord tells us that we can overcome death. He is the only one who can help us overcome death. He is the one who, who can actually carry us through death to eternal life. God has provided one who can save us from death. That's the gospel that we believe and proclaim when he sent his son into the world to satisfy God's justice. You see, since the Lord Jesus has borne the wrath of God, we sang what that suffering was like in Psalm 22. Since he bore that wrath of God against sin, since he obeyed God's commandments perfectly, he can be compared actually to a trailblazer who opens up a path through the thick branches of, of sin and the darkness of death so that we too who belong to him may walk in a path that leads to the rivers of life, to eternal salvation. That's the, the gospel of the text we have before us today. The gospel is that everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and who believes in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's why we love. We love the opportunity to be able to stand up together, usually in the afternoon service, to stand up and profess our faith. We like to sing it. We like to stand up and, and say it every Sunday. That's why we're so happy to see young people we know and love so much seeing that path, standing up and saying, this is what I believe. I believe the creedal statements that are stated, the creedal statements we find in Hebrews 5, verses 7 to 10. It's a blessing that we may profess together. Jesus, our perfect mediator, is the source of our eternal salvation. We see that he's a, a trailblazer. He's the one who gained eternal salvation through his obedience, and he's also the one who grants eternal salvation to those who obey him. A trailblazer, have you ever heard that word, children, trailblazer? It's someone who, who goes ahead of you when you're walking through some tough terrain, and he's picking a good path and, and cutting through the branches. If you've ever been in a jungle, you often see kids with machetes, it's, you always think, I want to be a kid in a jungle because then you can use these big knives. A trailblazer is someone who's cutting through the, the mess of the branches, a tangled mess of the jungle. He does it first. He's clearing a path to the destination. That's a, a picture that we can use in our minds to think of the work of Jesus Christ. What is the destination that we all long for ever since the fall into sin? Well, we desire that perfect Harmony with God and our neighbor, like it was first experienced in paradise. Well, the spiritual trailblazer that we need is someone then who can free us from the anger of God against our sin so that instead of God punishing us, God will show favor to us eternally. That's what we need. And the description of this type of mediator who could open the way for us is found in the Old Testament. And that's what Hebrews 5, verses 1 to 10, is describing for us. Hebrews 5, verses 1 to 4, alludes to God's revelation in the Old Testament. In that time, God dwelt among his people in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And several times in this book of Hebrews, this dwelling place of, uh, of where God dwelt with, with men, or where the dwelling place of God among men, it's called a copy of the New Testament realities that we experience in Jesus Christ. So the most holy place, that's the innermost part of the tabernacle and the temple, it was a copy of, of heaven. And the holy place, that's the meeting place where the priests would, would come in, but not, not everybody, just the priests would come in. That's a, a place where there's mediation, interceding before God. And then the outer court is the gathering place for everyone who's seeking that life in God. God had seen the way that sin had ruined life problems that sin and death caused. And so in his mercy, we read in the Old Testament, God appointed several men. They were called priests. And they worked as mediators 
between the holy God and sinful people. And then from that group of mediators, priests, God chose one, the high priest. He was the the special trailblazer. He was the one who was able to enter into the most holy place once a year to represent all the priests and the people before God. Sacrifice, a very special sin offering. You can read about that in Leviticus 16. That special day was called the Day of Atonement. Well, Hebrews 5 verses 1 to 4 tells us that when these priests offered sacrifices, animal sacrifices, he had to do so first for his own sins because he was weak, and then for the sins of the people. And when he did that, the Old Testament trailblazer, the one who was allowed to enter into the most holy place, the high priest, when he offered sacrifice for his own sin, he realized that he wasn't earning the right to be in the presence of God. He recognized his own sins. And then we read the beautiful words that he became very gentle. Hebrews 5 verse 2. When we're recognizing our own sins, we become very gentle with other sinners. And so the high priest was someone who had to love God, was someone who had to understand the struggles of God's people, was someone who wanted to help them also to come into the presence of God. And yet it must have been a little frustrating for the high priest because he was insufficient. He was weak. He couldn't obey the law perfectly. He could show us what was needed for salvation, but he was unable to deliver. He was unable to bring the full experience of eternal rest and salvation in heaven. The work he did was good work, but it was incomplete. It was a shadow and a symbol that was pointing to the greater work that God would accomplish through his son. There was a need for a better high priest, better promises, a better covenant, and a better hope. And the gospel that the letter to the Hebrews announces that I proclaim to you today is that we are a part of that better covenant with the better hope because God sent the trailblazer to end all trailblazers. He sent his son, the mediator that God sent from heaven. He didn't just say, this is what you need to do to be saved, but he went and he did it. He actually did everything that was necessary to secure eternal salvation. And he didn't just walk in a a temple on earth, but he became worthy of entering heaven itself on the basis of his obedience before the Father. He didn't just offer a lamb or a goat or a bull to show that blood was needed, but he offered his own innocent and sinless body as a perfect sacrifice for us and in our place once and for all. Hebrews 5 verses 7 to 10 shows us what the Son of God did, how he opened the trail through, uh, for us through that impassable jungle of sin and death to obtain the eternal salvation. And if you look at Hebrews 5, 
verses 7 to 10. It's like a, a movie camera that's, that's panning out so that we can again look at the whole picture. He's explaining here was the Old Testament, here is the new mediator. And now look at Jesus Christ. And using the rhythm and the wording of a hymn or a creed, in these verses the Holy Spirit reminds us that in the days of his flesh, that is after Jesus had been born and taken on human nature, we read Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. You see how the Holy Spirit works, right? He directs our attention to Jesus Christ. The day of our profession of faith, we look to Jesus Christ and what he did. So where do we read about this? Well, we can read many occasions where Jesus is, is praying to his heavenly Father, but few fit the description of Hebrews uh, 5 like Matthew 26. Matthew 26, also you read about it in Luke and Mark, when the Lord Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. There he was praying to the Father. We read that he became sorrowful even to death. He prayed to him who was able to save him from death. And, and this is what he prayed, Matthew 26, verse 39. He said, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And that cup that the Lord Jesus was praying about was the cup of God's wrath. He was suffering the fear and the anguish of hell. Jesus Christ was feeling the burden of God's wrath that's reserved for all who rebel against him. Like an Old Testament sacrificial animal that was being led to the slaughter, our Lord Jesus faced the horror of being abandoned completely by the Almighty God who was his Father. He faced what every sinner fears most, the judgment of the eternal God. And in the garden, our Lord Jesus was not just thinking of the physical suffering, but even more, he could see that in order to save the world from God's judgment, he would need to face God's judgment for us. Luke tells us in chapter 22, verse 44, that being in agony, the Lord Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's what it looked like for him to blaze the trail to salvation. In order to bring life and hope, the Lord Jesus needed to go through that intense suffering and agony of hell for us and for our, in our place. The priests offered animal sacrifices first for themselves and then for the people. But Jesus was sacrificed himself. And he offered himself as the perfect mediator and the high priest. Hebrews 5, verse 8, that says that the Lord Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered. That means 
Jesus Christ learned what it takes to be a high priest representing us. He experienced the curse of God, which was like the dark, threatening dangers of a thick jungle filled with vicious creatures and impassable mountains and valleys. He learned what it meant to represent us, the people, before God. He learned what it meant to be the sacrifice to pay. He learned what it meant to be so covered with sin and so deserving of punishment that he had to cry out to his father. He too wept. He saw sickness. He saw the powers of the devil working on earth. We are professing our faith in a Savior who understands our suffering. He saw the temptations that we face. He learned obedience. He learned what it takes to represent us, to, to be us before the Father as a substitute. And when he did that, he showed the genuineness of his love for the Father, his plan. He repeatedly prayed to God. He wanted to submit to the Father's will. He showed how much he loved us when he continued resolutely on that trail through hell, even though it meant that he had to suffer so much that an angel needed to come to strengthen him in the garden of Gethsemane. He is a Lord. He is a Savior who understands completely the struggles of all his creatures. And then when we see our Lord Jesus, as we read of him passing through that suffering, what a, what a joy it is to read. And he was heard. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was made perfect. He became the perfect high priest. You see, when he was in heaven before he took on human flesh, the Lord Jesus couldn't blaze a trail to save us. But when he took on human nature, when he identified himself with us, when he represented us and then went through the punishment for us and in our place under the wrath of God, when he did that, then he could. You see, we read he became something he was not before. He became a human took on the human nature so that he could pay for our sins. He didn't do it because he needed it. God didn't do this because he was incomplete without it, but he did it because we needed him to go. And as a result of his obedience, we read in Hebrews 6, verse 20, Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf into 
heaven, to be a, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We could see more of that on Ascension Day, the next part of the series here in Hebrews. He gained eternal salvation through his obedience. And that's why we're here today. That's why we're so happy to be here today. You see, the first part of the text just points to Jesus Christ. That's where we always start. He was made perfect. He blazed the trail. He obtained eternal salvation with his perfect life and sacrifice. So now we know the source of eternal life that so many people in the world are looking for, and it can't come from anyone here on earth. No scientist, no fancy river. So how can we share in that victory? Who can share in the victory? That's the second part of the text. You see, a high priest never does his work just for himself but he always does it on behalf and for the benefit of others. The same is true of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 5 verse 9 says that once Christ had been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That's motivating. You see, the Lord Jesus' work the Lord Jesus' work doesn't save everyone. As if after he came, that salvation flows over the world like a worldwide flood that no one can avoid. He also doesn't just make salvation available for everyone and leave it up to us whether or not we want to look for and jump into that river of life in heaven or not. Rather, we read he is the source. He is the source of eternal salvation for everyone who obeys him. Not only does he choose us for himself, he also gives us his spirit so that we turn to him and obey him and find eternal life in him alone. The Lord Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John 4, verse 14, he says, the water that I give a person will become in him a spring of water welling up to Eternal life. In his grace, God puts the fountain of life, the rivers of life, right in our very hearts. Right in the hearts of everyone who believes and professes their faith in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, you can see it. That's what the verses after our text are describing, the difference between those who profess their faith in Jesus Christ and those who, who fall away from him. It's carefully explained. We read those verses together. And we learn very clearly that it's possible to see the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers because those who obey Christ continue to grow and to mature and we read about that in their powers of discernment. That's verse 14 of chapter 5. They constantly, says verse 14, practice and train to distinguish good from evil. How do they do that? Through their constant study of the Word of God. 
they're able to serve as teachers of their friends and their families and their fellow church members. And then we see that when we do profession of faith, like the young people here in the front of the church this morning, when, they, when we do profession of faith, we don't just want milk. We don't just want baby food anymore. But we want to move beyond the, the basic principles of the oracles of God. We receive those. We, we accept them. But now we want to be skilled in the word of righteousness. The Holy Spirit guides you down the path that Jesus Christ has blazed. He guides you through the revelation, through his holy word. And so it's very clear to us to stay on that path, to, to walk down that path. This word needs to be opened in our lives. And young people, I encourage you to keep studying. Keep this word open. Be active in your prayers, your constant service, your study. Hebrews 6 verse 5 tells it like it is. It says, you have tasted and you have seen that the Lord is good. Hebrews 6 verses 7 to 8 describes all the blessings you have endured, enjoyed in your life as rain, rain of God's grace and favor that's fallen on your lives and on your hearts, on the, our lives, on our hearts. And then it says, now what? It tells us, to bloom, to grow, to be a, a plant that's continuing to grow, showing love to others, says Hebrews 6, verses 9 to 12. It says there are things that accompany this eternal salvation. Rather than being sluggish, you are working. You're showing love to the saints. You're thinking, holding that memory of Jesus Christ, who in the flesh cried out to God for strength. The source of eternal salvation changes your life. Through faith and patience, you will inherit the promises. The Savior who gave you access to the rivers of life by blazing a trail through the jungle is the same one who grants you eternal salvation. It comes to you by, from his hand through faith in this promise. And so let us ensure that we receive it with thankfulness. That's what we do when we stand up here. We say, yes, I believe that. I receive that, my Savior, with thankfulness. Do you see how richly we have been blessed? We have the answer that so many people are looking for. Although that hope of the fountain of eternal youth, it was kept alive for a while by the now dead Alexander the Great. And this hope continues to, as they say, spring eternal among the billionaires and the scientists in Silicon Valley, the only one who can grant eternal life and eternal salvation is Jesus Christ, our Lord and mediator, the one we're standing up to embrace and receive with thankfulness. It's truly our only comfort in life and in death. 
And then look at your public profession of faith in this context. Do you see what you're embracing? Do you see that you are saying, I want that eternal salvation? And that memory keeps you firm and steadfast in the trials, because there will be trials. It keeps you firm and steadfast in, in the temptations, because you know what? Public profession of faith does not make life easier or more comfortable. If anything, it makes it less comfortable. Because that, that trail that the Lord Jesus blazed through this world, it's not always an easy path. You look at the Psalms, Psalm 23 tells us that sometimes we have to follow our shepherd through the valley, the shadow of death. Psalm 63, which we sang at the beginning of the worship service as a pre-service song, it talks about living in a dry and thirsty desert. Psalm 84 talks about making a pilgrimage through the valleys of Baca, the valleys of crying. The promise for the believer, however, we see in the end of Hebrews 6, it's like the anchor of the soul. Well, you need an anchor in the storm. And that's what we are also prepared for. And by the grace of God, Darren, Thomas, Min, Ashley, Nolan, and Jolene, you have made a very good decision to remain on the path that God has already set you on since you were born and baptized as children of believing parents. Jesus Christ is a mediator of a better covenant. He has blazed the trail. And he brings us with him. And so, the next time someone asks you, do you believe that there exists, that it exists an eternal fountain of youth, eternal life? Somebody asked that question that we asked at the beginning of this service. Well, what would you answer? Well, you can tell him or her, you can say, of course I believe in an eternal fountain of life and youth. For sure, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you know the most wonderful part of all? You can state it very clearly. I am a part of his body. I am one with him. And so you're looking at a person who will live forever. Even though I die. Praise the Lord for this indescribable gift. Amen.